Did you see any of the bands at Woodstock? Yeah. Highlights. What was the highlight for you? Oh, my best time was Janis Joplin, because a lot of great things had you know sort of come together all at once. But I had I, I had had a horrible problem. That was like late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. It was hard to tell. I think it was around midnight. Yeah. And I had I've been trying to get all the business managers to have their their bands extend their sets so that we would have. Um, we'd have more time, more music on stage, and less dead time for the crowd, less idle time, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I was calling bands, and they were agreeing to play longer sets. And then I got to the Grateful Dead, <clears throat> and they they said they weren't going to play longer a longer set. The band, the manager did. He, the band probably would have played for nothing. But the manager said, um, not only are we not going to play a longer set, I don't think we're going to play. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the rumor is that you guys are bankrupt. And I, I said, well, where did you get that silly idea? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, well, it's, everybody's talking about it, and we, we're not going to take your check. And I said, what do you mean not going to take our check? And he said, cash or cashier's checks, no Woodstock Ventures checks. And I said, you got to be kidding. It's midnight. Where am I going to get cash in the middle of farm country? <laughs> and this was a lot of cash. You know, and he said, oh, that's not my problem. And then the manager of the Who called me, because he'd been talking to the manager of the dead. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I, I had what looked like it might be a, um, sort of like a movement. <laughs> and, and so... So I, I managed to get out of that one by calling our banker, who was asleep, of course, and helicoptering him to the Sullivan County National Bank, where he was able to find some cashier's checks that had inadvertently not been locked up in the time vault, wow. where everything stays locked up until Monday. Mm-hmm. But these particular checks were still in a cashier's uh, drawer, a teller's drawer, because they had been overlooked. And he, 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 I think he had been bothered by that. I think he remembered because when I talked to him, he kind of recollected that when we were when he came out of his groggy state, <laughs> and and so I, I got him uh, a ride in a helicopter over to the parking lot of the bank, and he went in and found them, and we got them by helicopter to the site, and I, I put him in my backpack, and I got on the, my motorcycle and threaded my way through this incredible crowd of people, and it was just. You have to experience it to understand what it's like to be in that many people. No kidding. And and um, Janis Joplin was playing at the time, and the stage was just brilliantly lighted, and it was a beautiful night. It wasn't raining for some reason. <laughs> and so I mean, what, what more could you ask for? It just solved this, this horrible problem that, that threatened to turn the place into a mess, but instead it worked out perfectly. And I was feeling no pain. <laughs> Wonderful moment. That's fantastic. When you saw the movie, I, I assume you saw the final cut. You didn't see any of the rushes. Um, what were your thoughts when you saw the movie the following year? Well, um, I didn't see a lot of the festival. I, um, the festival for me was kind of the way I described that party that you had at your house. Right. Um, except if you if you add to the mix about maybe 15 telephone calls every two or three minutes, each one with a new problem. And I mostly was a was a telephone creature during that festival <laughs> on the 
on the phone with helicopters or with the medical people or with the state police or with the governor's office or I, I could go on. It just was endless. It, it was endless, not to mention the locals <laughs> who were so stressed and so worried about their property. As it turned out, it was on, these worries were unfounded, but you can imagine, you know, people whose entire life is their land. Yeah. And then, and here there were strangers all over their land. And it's just, even the ones who had rented their land with legal contracts because they were wise enough to understand that, you know, logically people were going to be on their land, they just weren't prepared for the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And, and these were good kids, too. These, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't any vandalism or things like that. Right. And, and so, so it was, um, it was just a different experience for me to see the movie, because my view of the festival was from the making of, and not from the sitting in the audience. And enjoying. And enjoying. Right. And I had two partners who were in the audience and enjoying, <laughs> and they tell me it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Man, by I can t- tell by watching them in the movie <laughs> that they were having a great time. <laughs> By by the time you got back to New York, you must have been just exhausted. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's you know um, when the when when the crisis lifts, you know you you are just um, you're sort of numb, shell shocked, and exhausted at the same time. <laughs> <clears throat> the only reason we weren't totally that way is because the crisis hadn't totally lifted. <laughs> we were we were, uh, we were just going from uh, a frying pan into a fire, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or more like a fire into a frying pan because um, we, we were kind of on, on the griddle at the bank in the next morning and the following morning. Uh, it was a series of meetings with increasingly annoyed bankers until um, we finally, until um, my partner John Roberts's family just graciously and generously agreed to finance our debt because we had written a lot of bad checks over the weekend. Right. Uh, the, the manager of the Grateful Dead was right. <laughs> <laughs> they were slightly rubberized. <laughs> a lot of collateral damage. Yeah. I heard um, that it took about 10 years to break even. Is that correct? Yes, you heard right. It was, um, it, we, we lost about, uh, by today's standards, we lost about oh, between 15 and 20 million uh, on the festival. And... And we had some residual interests in the movie and the record, and so that pretty much was the, what brought us up to even over a period of uh, actually more like eleven or twelve years. Fascinating. Yeah. And here it is. And that and that it doesn't mean. I mean, in those days, you have to understand. You know, ten cents in those days is like a dollar is today. Yeah, it's still here, man. An incredible, iconic, legendary, classic moment in music and popular culture. You never expected that, huh? <laughs> no. No, you can't expect that because you can't make that happen. Yeah. Nobody can make that happen. It's it that has to happen because because the half a million people who were there have to come together and create that. You can't the the people try and do it all the time, of course, because. They've seen it happen, and they think that they can do that. They try to make movies that do that or, or live events that do that. And sometimes you can almost tell that that's what they're trying to do, and it's, it's almost embarrassing to see them efforting to do that. 
It's like finding a lightning in a bottle. It's really, it's, it's really like trying too much, too hard to, to make something significant. But what happened at Woodstock was the, the, the audience, these half a million people, are the ones who made it significant. They, uh, they turned an ordinary event with a shaky infrastructure, in fact, a crumbling infrastructure, and good music, and bad weather, <laughs> and a lot of deprivation and scarce resources. They turned that into a utopia. And they did it. They did it all by themselves. They did it because they, each one of them, looking at an alternative between um, that or civil, or civil disorder, chaos, rioting, bad vibes, and whatever, chose the um, path of community cooperation, care for your, caring for your neighbor, sharing, sharing cheerfully with people you didn't even know. They chose that path instead, and they created this loving, peaceful society and had a really great time, and they did it uh, out of their own instincts. So when people you know, belittle that event, I think that they miss that point. There, there, it was a, there was quite a community feeling there, and it was, you, could, you could practically touch it. It was so palpable. And it started from the first moment that people got there and looked around. You know, there, there was no Internet in those days. So no kidding. You didn't have a chance to figure out from any clues that you could get, not from polls that were taken or establishment media or anything, that there were other people in the world who thought and felt that you, the way you did about, about equal rights for minorities or about, um, about Vietnam or about all the important um, issues that... That we uh, there were cross currents of, of the, the mini civilization at Woodstock. You thought that you were probably just one of a few people who felt that way, and you were made to feel like a freak by the establishment. But then you got to Woodstock, and you the shock of seeing what looked like the whole world there, <laughs> thinking and feeling and being the way you were, and part of your community. It was an intense moment for people because they had no way to prepare for it. It was just Total surprise. You know, these days you can go on the Internet and you can see how many people are looking at the same website you're looking at at the same time. Yeah. Look, just look at the counter at the bottom. Exactly. And we had no such things in those days. A moment to uh, never have uh, been recreated. And, uh, and well, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't actually think that's so. I think that w- what created that moment is in, is in everybody, and we need more of them. We will need more of them if we are to um, come through some of the challenges that are facing us. I think that that we got a, a clue about what it will take. You know, it's, <laughs> Grant, I, I think it's arrogant of me to suggest that what kids were facing at Woodstock <clears throat> is anything like what the planet is facing, for example, with um, the changes we're making in the environment. Yes. Because those are really serious and really possibly fatal. Absolutely. But mud and rain are probably not fatal. Yeah, I totally <laughs> agree with you. But, but there is a metaphor there, for me, for what we need. We need to act as a community, and we need to do the little things, you know, that um, take care of each other and that take care of our planet. And if, if everybody does it, those things, uh, they, kind of, they kind of grow. You, every time you do a little thing, it becomes sort of the thing you do, and then you the next new thing you do goes on top of that, and pretty soon everybody's doing the right thing, and <laughs> and we and we don't kill our planet. Yeah. It would be a really nice outcome. It's a fascinating story, Joel. Thank you. It was 
fun to talk with you about it. And uh, I, I greatly appreciate you uh, spending some time and uh, reflecting back on Woodstock. Incredible. Well, it's been a treat for me to relive it. Um, this has been a fun weekend for me to to um, follow in its in its preparation, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. And, and stirring up a lot of old memories, that's for sure. I bet it has some great memories, absolutely. Maybe some bad ones too, but still, it's uh, it's pretty cool to be able. You know, to... it's funny how the bad ones just sort of have gone. <laughs> 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 you know, even the bad ones are amusing now. And again, it's a, it's a great pleasure to uh, meet and talk with you. I, I greatly appreciate uh, you spending the time. Thank Thanks. you. I had fun doing it.